We turn in God's Word this evening to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. read the whole chapter tonight as it also sets the stage uh, in weeks to come as uh, the confession deals with the government of the church as well as far as what that is to look like according to the word of God and we certainly find that outlined for us here by the spirit through the pen of Paul to Timothy. First Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if any, someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, for he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, again, we thank you for this beautiful day that you have given us and this gorgeous night. And we are thankful to be here, dear Lord. We know know there's a lot of other activities and, and things as we drive to church, but we're glad that we're here. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for the word that was just read. And we pray that Pastor Bob, is, as he leads us in this message, Please open our hearts and our minds and accept this word. And we just thank you for everything that you have given us and you have blessed us with. This we ask in your name. Amen. And amen. We want to focus tonight on uh, that 15th verse. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, 
a pillar and buttress of the truth. So as we make our way through the, the confession, we've, we've defined what the church is and in, in a couple of different ways, focusing last Lord's Day on the fact that, that Paul uses the picture of the body and what does that communicate, what does that say to us. Here, the picture that Paul gives to us is not of the body, but is the picture of a household. And it is the picture then, even as we can say, that picture of the household of God is the church of the living God. Paul makes that statement for us. We don't have to draw the lines. But then he tells us that the church is the pillar of the truth, and the church is the buttress of the truth. And so we see again that which the church is to be. The church is to be a pillar Church is to be a buttress. Some of your versions perhaps use the word foundation, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But it seems to me that if we're going to figure out what that means in regards to the church, then first of all, we have to figure out what truth is, because that's what we're supposed to be about. The household of God, the church of the living God, is supposed to be the pillar and the buttress of what? The truth. Well, what is the truth? That was Pilate's question, right? He's trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. What is the truth? Well, the answer to that question is simply this. Jesus said, John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The answer to the question of what is truth, the answer to the question is what does this word mean here, this truth, what is that talking about? It's talking about Christ. It is he who has given to us the definition. I am the truth. So that has to be central. And I hope you caught that, even as I mentioned a few minutes ago, in that article from the confession that we just read, the centrality of Christ. When you're talking about the church, then Christ has to be central in that church. Why? Because he is the truth. Now, we take that from John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. However, if we go back to John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. And when we read that verse in the context of John chapter 1, then we say that the word is truth. Because the Word is Christ. The Word is Christ. And the Word then is truth. See, we, we, we tend to make a distinction. There's Christ and then there's the Word. Scripture does not make that distinction. It sees no distinction between three terms. Christ, the Word, and truth. In Scripture, those three words are locked together. They're not separate entities. They're all one. So when, we, when the church is called the pillar of the truth, we could say the church is to be the pillar of Christ. It is to be the pillar of the word. It is to be the pillar of truth. It is to be the buttress of Christ. It is to be the buttress of truth. It is to be the buttress of the word. So that first, okay, so that we, we understand. We're not talking about 
truth in some other form, in some other dimension, in some other way of understanding it. We're not talking about truth as far as, well, it may be true for you, but not for me. Relative type truth. We're talking about absolute truth. Absolute truth that is found in the Word of God, which is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So then Paul tells us, if we're looking at what is the church, first of all, he tells us in chapter 3, that the church is to be the pillar of the truth. Now there's different ways of understanding the function of a pillar. All of them work. I'll use two of them, but all the illustrations would work. Think of a pillar. Think of it in Paul's day. Think of it in the context out of which Paul is writing. The, the world in which Paul lives. That, that Roman world with all of its buildings and all of its temples and its architecture and the, the, the centrality and importance that pillars paid that pillars played in Roman architecture. The pillar is seen as the support of the truth. The support of the building. So notice, he's called the church the household of God. That which supports the household is the truth, is Christ. A church cannot be a church without Christ. A church cannot be a church without the Word, the Scriptures. A church cannot be the church without truth. But there is another sense in which pillars were used. Maybe you can think back to, to pictures you've seen of of discoveries that they have made in archaeology and how oftentimes pillars were written on. There were messages that were written on those pillars, notes, maybe a quote by some philosopher, maybe the statement of the life of some king, maybe the date of some king, maybe certain laws that were written down, and they were put upon those pillars. A pillar, for them, functioned as a signboard, as a display. The church, Paul is saying, is to be the display of Christ in this world. That's what we are to be, a true church displays Christ to the world. So when Debray is looking at this, and he's, he's trying to figure out and, and to write distinctly between a true and a false church, the one thing we're coming back to is this. A church, a true church, displays Christ. But having said that, understand that you can't display Christ without speaking the truth. There is no Christ apart from the truth. And there is no Christ apart from the Word. They all go together. 
So the church is to display Christ because it displays the truth. It proclaims the truth. It's there on the pillar. Everybody sees it. Everybody who walks by knows the words that are being stated. That's the function of a pillar. The church is to be known by the word of God. Just step back and think, okay? The most central thing that a church is to be known by is its proclamation, adherence, display, and holding to the truth of the Word of God, Christ. That's why Debray could say, it's easy to distinguish. If a church is known only for its food kitchen and not for Christ, what would it be? Well, it's not the pillar of the truth. See, if a church is known for its social action and not for holding to the truth of the word of God, then it's not a pillar of the truth. Then it's not the church. Then it's not the household of God. Now, in DeBray's circumstances, okay, that was pretty easy for him to, to distinguish. He could look to the left, and he could see the Anabaptists not holding to the truth of Christ, not holding to the truth of God's word. Why? Because they've set the word aside for these personal revelations that they supposedly received in the spirit that became more important than the truth. So if they got a revelation, as we've talked about in the city of Munster, okay, that said, I can take another man's wife, that revelation became more important than what God's word said. Thou shalt not commit adultery. On the other hand, to break a look to the other side, and he could see the Roman Catholic Church that had set aside the truth, that had set aside the word, that had set aside Christ for what? The ordinances of the church. That which the church says in this day and age is more important than that which was said here. If there is a contradiction between that which the Pope is saying and that which the Word says, guess who's wrong? Not the Pope. Because he speaks infallibly. So it must be the Word is wrong. Or we understand the Word wrong. So it was easy for him at this point. Pillar of the truth. Well, I got two other options going here. I can distinguish the false church. This is what a church is to be known for. Secondly, the second picture that he gives to us is that it is to be a buttress of the truth. That's the ESV interpretation. Now, 
Some of you have the word foundation. The problem with the word foundation is this, that the foundation, as we find it in other places where Paul wrote, is Christ. So if we use the word foundation here, is the church the foundation or is Christ the foundation? Well, one understanding would be this. There is no distinction between the head and the body. Christ is the head of the church, and the church is the body of Christ. There is a union, an inseparable union, between the head and the body. It's not like we have a severed head. So in that sense, okay, maybe we can understand and, and understand why some interpreters use the word foundation. But there's also the idea in the Greek that is carried with this word. The idea of a grounding. The idea of a support. Those of you who are builders and those of you who are architects perhaps can explain this far better than I can. But a buttress is supposed to be used to support a wall, to support a building. What is it that supports the church? What is it that grounds the church? Truth. The truth of Christ. The truth of the Word. So the church becomes that which is upheld upon the truth. It is not the creator of truth. The church doesn't create truth. The church doesn't make truth. And the truth doesn't keep changing. The church's application of the truth must keep changing with the times. That's what the reformers taught, that the reformed faith is a faith that is ever reforming. It is ever adapting to the day and age in which it lives. But it's never changing the essence of truth. It cannot. Because truth is not that which the church owns. It is not the possession of the truth. The church cannot make the decision that Christ is not fully God. That's not for the church to decide. The Word decides the question. The Scriptures give us the answers. The church can't change what it means to be justified by faith and say, well, no, we're going to change that and alter it just a little bit and add in some works. The church can't do that. If the church is creating truth, then it is no longer the buttress of the truth. So what Paul is simply telling us here is the fact that all that the church is hinges upon the concept and idea of truth. The word of God, Christ. 
to say that we are a church that is founded upon the Word of God does not mean we are Christless. It means we are Christful. To say that we are a church all about Christ should mean that we are a church that is concerned about truth and the Word of God. Not as a separate entity, but as that which truth is. The spiritual truth that God has given to us in this world. So when it comes to this concept of truth, the braven is breaking this down and saying, okay, then it will be easy for us to distinguish a true church from a false church. Now let me caution you. Debray did not say we are distinguishing the true church as the perfect church from the false church. It's the true and false church. It's not the perfect church and the false church. Nor does the distinguishing, become the error-free church and the false church. Surprise, every church is imperfect. Every visible manifestation of the church is imperfect. Here. Why? Because we're all part of it. And what are we? Well, we're true Christians. Debray defined that. What's a true Christian? A true Christian is one who struggles. A true Christian is not one who has made perfection. A true Christian is one who struggles with the infirmities, meaning sin of this life, meaning the flesh, meaning the temptations, but is always looking to Christ. In other words, the church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ, is filled with imperfect people. So you're never going to find a perfect church. If you're waiting, well, you know, I don't know if I ought to join. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking for a perfect church. You got to die to find that one. Because the only sinless church is the church triumphant in glory. But I also want to point out that there, there is a distinction between that which we call the false church and a church that has errors. Every error-filled... Let me put it this way. Every church has errors. The OPC has errors. Now, personally, I happen to believe it's the best we can find upon earth at this particular time and point and juncture in life. But my choices on this side are how much error is there. Not error-free. But you see, Debray is not talking about error-free. We acknowledge there are churches that are in error, but they still can be a true church. 
even though there is error within them. Second point before I start on the last point of the message here. There is also much discussion, and I really don't know the answer to this question. There is much discussion over, in order to be a false church, does it have to fail on all three points or just one? To be a false church, does it have to fail in each one of the three or in just one area? And you get a wide diversity of opinion. Even amongst the reformers, there was diversity of opinion upon this. Luther would have had a different view than Calvin upon this. And those who followed Calvin would have probably had a different view than Calvin himself had upon it. Those who, who are involved in the Reformation of England would have had a different view than those who had a view of this from the continent of Europe. That's a hard call. It's a difficult call. And, and, it, and it could be applied and there are arguments to made in each place. Personally, I think you have to, I think the false church is that which fails on all three parts. That's personal, okay? That's, that's not a Belgic, it's not a confessional thing, okay, to be found. Because I think you can, I think it's possible you may not get the sacraments exactly right, but you could still be a true church. So let me go through these very quickly. How do we define then what is one of these churches? How do we define what a, sec, a First Timothy chapter 3 church is? How do we know if a church is the household of God? How do we know if a church is the pillar of the truth? How do we know if a church is the buttress of truth? How do we know that? What are we to look for? Debray has assisted us in that. And he's pointed out that there are three things you should be looking for. One, is there true preaching of the gospel? Is there true preaching of Christ? Is there true preaching of salvation? A church which would proclaim salvation is not in Christ alone. Is not preaching the true gospel. Now you got to go back and remember that when Debray and then we in the Reformed faith define the church... We define it very broadly. We do not define it in terms of a denomination. We do not say that the church is only a single solitary denomination. We don't even say that the true church is, has to be reformed. We say a true church is one that proclaims Christ. That we are justified by faith alone, through grace, in Christ alone. 
the true proclamation of the gospel of Christ. That becomes the central form of the truth of the scriptures. Secondly, we say that a true church is seen in the true use of the sacraments. The number of them, the meaning of them, and the method of them. That, there, that, that if we were to say, if a church were to proclaim that in the use of the sacraments you are saved, that would be untrue. That would be false. That would be a lie. If a church were to say there are 12 sacraments, that would be untrue. That would be a lie. That would be an indication that it is perhaps a false church. Thirdly, they place before us that there should be true discipline. True discipline as defined by Debray, is those who sin against the Word of God, not who are seeking to live by the Word of God. So if you apply that which Debray says, and that which we in the Reformed faith confess, as far as what makes the household of God, what makes the church of the living God, what makes the pillar. What makes the, the buttress of truth? What, what makes a church that? When Christ is truly proclaimed, when the sacraments are biblically kept, and when sinners are disciplined because of their failure to live according to the word of God. Not holy people being disciplined because they're following the word of God. So here we are in 1561, and we're looking at the landscape around us, the spiritual landscape. This article of the Confession is aimed not at the Lutheran Church. The Bray doesn't have them in mind. He's not thinking that. Now, is he in disagreement with the Lutherans? Sure. Does he think the Lutherans are in error on certain things? Sure. Do we as a Reformed faith believe the Lutherans are in error on certain points? Absolutely. But we do not proclaim them to be a false church. Debray has his eyes. And God's word has his eyes. Its eyes. Upon the Roman Catholic Church. It was not proclaiming Christ. It was not using the sacraments according to the scriptures. And it was indeed persecuting, martyring those who were not sinning, but those who were seeking to live by the truth of God's word. We must be cautious my friends, about tossing around that term. We have to be cautious. Not every church that we disagree with is a false church. Not every church 
that is in error is a false church. Because if every church that was in error is a false church, then so are we. Because we're not perfect either. We don't get it always right. We strive for it. As I said before, I think we're the best expression of it on earth that can be at this point in time. We're not perfect. We're not error-free. Therefore, it is not, there's error. Oh, they're a false church. No. No. That, that is to be used very carefully. So when I use it, the Roman Catholic Church, I'm using it very carefully. Understanding that there is a broad definition of then who belongs to the church. Is that necessarily good for our soul? No, it's not necessarily good for our soul to be, filled, be a part of a church that is filled with error. But it is quite another thing to be part of the false church. That is what the Bray and the Reformers, and that is what we should be calling people out of. Out of all these various sects that he speaks of, that are not proclaiming Christ, that are not practicing the sacraments correctly, that are not exercising true biblical discipline. The church is to be the pillar, the broadcaster of truth to this world. When we leave this place, we become responsible for our portion, our opportunity of proclaiming that truth to this world. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. For Lord, it's not because of who we are, it's because of who you are that we are part of the church of Jesus Christ. Father, it cuts across nations, it cuts across races, it cuts across colors. The true church that you draw to yourself out of darkness through marvelous light. Father, we pray that as we live, that we will display Christ to those around us. That others might see and know that we belong to Christ. That they might hear the truth from us. That we might, Father, uphold the scriptures and live as the church of the living God. What a blessing that is. Christ's name. God's people say, Amen.